This is episode 16 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today, Susan Whitehead joins us to share how God has shown up in her travels in ways much bigger than she could have imagined. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, so glad that you are here. We're really excited to have Susan join us. But before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to subscribe to our podcast at christiantravelers.net. And you can also join our discussion on our Facebook and Instagram page. But without further ado, let's introduce Susan. She is a wife and a mother of six with an incurable case of wanderlust. In 2011, their lives changed forever when they sold everything except scrapbooks and baby blankets and bought one-way tickets to Costa Rica. They've since lived in Mexico, the United Arab Emirates, and did a wild three-month road trip to England, Wales, France, and Spain with all six of their kids. Hey, Susan, how are you doing? I am, I'm exhausted just listening to all the things that we've done, <laughs> but I'm doing great. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in travel. I don't think I ever had any part of my life that didn't involve travel. I was born to a Costa Rican mother and an American father. And before I was maybe one and a half or so, I had already gotten my smallpox vaccine and my passport and was headed down to Costa Rica to see my mom's family there, her dad and brothers. So I kind of grew up with international travel happening every few years, um, taking road trips to see my dad's parents and family up in West Virginia. So when my husband and I got married, it just was an expected thing. We were just going to travel, but um, we were a military family and we just assumed that in the 10 years we spent serving in the U.S. Air Force, or my husband serving in the U.S. Air Force, that Uncle Sam would take us to these amazing places and see Europe and or see Japan or see, and nothing like that happened. <laughs> I mean, we got to see a lot of the U.S., but we never got to see anything overseas. So uh, God opened a door for my husband to discharge honorably in what, 2006, mm-hmm. and we did. And we still had this desire to really expose our children to other cultures. One of, one of the big parenting goals that we have had for our kids was to teach them to love learning, but also to teach them to love other people, to not be scared of them, no matter what they look like, how they speak, how they dress, how they worship so that they can develop real relationships to spread the gospel through, you know, authentic friendships. So we didn't know how that was going to happen. And uh, like you said, in my bio, 2011 came, we were pretty close to broke. We were selling jewelry to buy groceries. I mean, it was, it was really tough and God opened a door and most people would not have seen this door. <laughs> they would have thought this was God closing a door, but our landlord came to us 
And we had been talking about extending the lease that we had with her for three extra months so we could kind of save up. And I don't know how we were planning on saving because we didn't have any extra money to save. But that was our plan to save up, prepare, and then move abroad. And she showed up at our door one day. It was close to Easter in 2011. And she had this peach pie in her hands with a big red bow on top. And nothing good ever happens when somebody shows up unexpectedly with a dessert and a bow on top in their hands. So, And she told us that she needed us to move out in roughly 100 days. And my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, this is God opening the door. We need to step out in faith and go. And so that's what we did. We, like I, like you said, we sold everything except for scrapbooks, baby blankets. I mean, I did keep my grandmother's china, you know, a few other little things that just couldn't be replaced. And we jumped and we bought one-way tickets to Costa Rica. And that kind of began the snowball effect of our desires for travel with, with all our families. And at that time we had, uh, we had five kids. So did those sales like fund this trip in a way? No, selling all of our stuff did. (laughs) It's amazing how much money you can, you have under your roof when, I mean, we had, we had 15 years worth of stuff. We had been married. uh, Well, we had our 15th anniversary just um, eight days before. Mm -hmm. uh, Wait, no. Yeah. Eight days before we landed in Costa Rica And we, I mean, we just sold everything. We had Turkish rugs from my husband's time in the military. We had bins and bins and bins of little girl clothes from our four daughters. We sold our van. I mean, we sold, we sold everything. And that really gave us a little bit of a cushion Mm -hmm. to launch and go to Costa Rica. But we also had a little business that we were running. And I had a few other streams of income online that were, totally digital. So we had some things in place, but definitely did not have this huge drawn out plan with budgets. And it, it was just, we had no money. We knew we could live overseas for cheaper. And so we left. So why did you choose Costa Rica? Initially, we didn't. Initially, we thought we would go to Antigua, Guatemala, um, But then we just got to thinking about it and talking about it. And we just, it came down to the fact that we did not have a piece Mm. about going to Guatemala. We didn't know anybody there outside of just a few people we had met on Facebook. And we chose Costa Rica because, well, we actually did meet another family Mm. in um, Atenas where we ended up landing. But I have extended family there still. So it was kind of a... A safety net that we had there, even though I had not seen my grand aunt and was she my great aunt? Yeah, my great aunt. She's my great aunt um, in, gosh, decades and her children in, in the same amount of time. We hadn't seen each other in forever, but we still knew their family and that if something came up, they could, you know, step in and, and help us out. But so that's really why we chose to host Rica and because it was a cheap flight from Orlando. So what was the scariest and mo- and also the most exciting thing about packing up and moving your family abroad? You can probably imagine just the stress of going through your house. I mean, it, it was 
I, I, we had stickers on everything. Every single thing had a sticker on it, um, from the kids' dressers to their toys to mirrors in, in the bathroom, just like, I mean, everything. And it was so scary because we didn't have a plan B. There was no, well, if this doesn't work out, then we'll do this. It was, it was all or nothing. We were burning all the bridges and we really felt that we had to just, I mean, we just really leaned in to our faith that, that this is what God wanted for us. It was so, it was so hard. It was so hard. There were so many days when I would just look around and think, what, what are we doing? What are we, this is insane. And I still think it's insane. (laughs) And it was insane. But it, I think that was the scariest thing is just not knowing, just having that little uh, seed of lies Mm -hmm. that, that I think we all hear in the back of our heads. It's our enemy saying, you can't do this. God doesn't really plan to take care of you. He didn't really open this door for you. And so that, that brought in a lot of fear, but of course we know logically that fear is not from God, but still we kind of got caught up into that. Um, And the most exciting thing was it had to be when we landed in San Jose that day. I mean, it had been so tumultuous. We have had, there were some issues, family issues that were kind of uh, just heavy on our hearts at that time. And we were just really caught up in just the stress of, okay, are we going to get to the airport on time? Do we have all the things that we need? Are we forgetting anything? Those kind of things. But when those wheels from that flight touched down in San Jose, I just started crying. And my kids are like, what's wrong? <laughs> Cause I'm not, I'm not really an emotional person. I mean, it's very rare for them to see me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it's not part of who I am. And they're like, what is wrong with the mommy? She's crying. And it was just all those months and all the stress uh, of planning and executing, they, they were done. And we had achieved what I call a God-sized dream of getting our family of seven to Costa Rica. So that was probably the most exciting thing. How were you, how did your kids take all of the transition? For them, the first time it was just a new exciting adventure. I mean, they were all, let's see. So, 2011 um our oldest was 13. She had just turned 13. And so we just made it a big adventure for all. Of so it would have been let's see 13, 11, Brittany would have been six. No, oh, I don't know. The math is too complex. <laughs> the oldest was 13. I know that. And the youngest turned three the next month after getting there. Um, and so for the, for the little guy, he was just clueless. He was just along for their ride. And the older ones were just, they were excited. They were excited to experience this new country and see new things. And within, I want to say within like the first week of us being in our house there in Costa Rica, I wake up one morning and my girls are just squealing. And I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is not normal for them. I mean, they're happy kids, but this wasn't normal. And I get up out of bed and there's horses that are eating the grass right outside our window. And they were just over the moon. So you start any trip off like that with horses and my kids are happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
but uh, Costa Rica wasn't the only place that you've lived abroad. Uh, what, what led you to choose some of those other places? So the next place we went was Mexico. And initially we chose Mexico because there were cheap tickets. <laughs> so there's like this theme of cheap airfare. Um, we had flown back to the States for just a quick visit and JetBlue had a sale. $100 tickets from Orlando to Cancun. And I was like, okay, click, buy. And then like within 23 hours, I had total buyer's remorse. I was freaking out. What am I doing? And I posted this on this uh, family travel tra family travelers group on Facebook. And this family messaged me and they said, hey, we're going to be going, we live in central Mexico. We're going to be going down to Antigua for their Semana Santa, their big um, passion week. Would you like to house it? And I was like, yeah. I don't know how to get to where you are, but yeah. <laughs> so it was crazy circumstances. They actually ended up buying tickets for us to get from Cancun to Guadalajara because we couldn't buy them for the cheap rate because we didn't have a Mexican credit card and they did and just crazy circumstances. But so we ended up in Chapala, Mexico. Then when we went to Europe, my husband had a training course that he wanted to take in England. And I was like, um, if you're going to Europe, uh, we're all going. This is not going to be like this one, one person deal. So we asked the kids, where would you like to spend Christmas this year? And this was 2014. And all but our little blonde hair, blue eyed daughter chose England. She wanted to go to Norway, but I was like, that's going to be way too cold. <laughs> I'm from Florida. I don't do cold. So um, so then we spent Christmas in England. And then when we were there, we also, I fell in love with France. Absolutely loved it. Nobody else really cared that much about it, but I just loved it. And then we spent a, l a little weekend in Wales. And then we saw Spain riding around in this crazy old junky uh, English taxi that we bought that was a total disaster but anyway and then the last place we went was the United Arab Emirates my husband took a job there and we were apart for well, he he had that job for two years and we were apart for most of it but he made it happen so that we could get visas to come which was not a cheap process but we got visas for all of us and we lived there for six months and um oh before we went to europe we had baby number six so he's our bonus baby so uh europe and the uae we had uh six kids wow so in all of these travels was it hard for you to find christian community or people to talk with your faith about your faith with in costa rica and mexico it was super easy i mean we you get on a bus in Costa Rica and there are pictures of Jesus and there are Bible verses. And it's just, it was so refreshing because it's just part of everyday life there. It wasn't something that, you know, kind of like happens in the States where it's just kind of reserved for Sunday. It was just all the time. In Mexico, we lived maybe a block and a half away from a bilingual church. So they had an English speaking service. And then afterwards they had a Spanish speaking service. And that was just a huge blessing. I mean, it was mostly um, retired folks. So we were like the standout 
young family that was part of, <laughs> part of that church. I mean, we, we stand out anywhere we go, but it really stood out in, in this community. I think there were just maybe one or two other couples that were um, our age with young kids. And then in Europe, it was really, really hard because we moved around too much. So we weren't really in places to kind of have that connection and have that community. So that was really hard. And then our kids got chicken pox over Christmas. So my dreams of going to these old Anglican churches and hearing these beautiful Christmas carols and yeah, that was kind of smashed. (laughs) We went to one service and we were, my husband and I were the youngest there probably by a good at least one or two generations and mm. all the couples came up and I was so nervous because I mean we had a, a baby and we had let's see Grant was six in a tiny little Anglican church mm-hmm. in England with all these older people and I was I mean I was sweating buckets because I was like oh my gosh my kids are not sitting still the boys are in you know and they came up after us and they were like, oh, your children are so well behaved. Where are you staying? How long will you be here? And we were like, oh, we're just here this Sunday. <laughs> so, yeah, so England and well, Europe just it was hard. It was hard. We just traveled too fast. Um, and then lastly, in the UAE, we had a church. There's a church there. And so we, we worshipped with um, Emmanuel Church of Fujera in Fujera, UAE for, for the time that we were there. Nice. So what advice might you give to someone who's like trying to share their faith or find a Christian community while abroad? Ironically, the place that I found it easiest to talk about my faith was in the United Arab Emirates. Hmm. We got the opportunity to have meals a couple times with some local Emiratis. And for those who aren't familiar, um, the UAE, that's where Dubai is. Dubai is their capital. And they're a Muslim country. And there's no escaping that fact. You can't go anywhere without seeing um, Muslim men dressed in their long white tunics and the headscarves and the women in various stages uh, or various types of levels, maybe, various levels of modesty. And so... We had these opportunities to meet with local Emiratis that my husband worked with, and we sat down at one barbecue, and it's a culture where men and women do not intermingle, but because we were Americans, it was, there was some leeway given, and a lot of the um, more educated, well, uh, pretty much all the Emiratis are very well educated, um, but some of the older Emiratis that we were, you know, hanging around with at the time, they had spent a lot of time in the U.S. So it wasn't like they weren't familiar with our culture and they all speak English perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know, I just get a little bold <laughs> when, when I'm talking with these folks and I would just ask them, I'd ask them about their faith and ask them about, um, you know, what the different head coverings were for the women. You know, why do some women... I mean, you can't see anything in their faces, totally veiled, or, and how come there are some that you can see their faces, and some of them have these things, they almost look like, I mean, my girls and I thought they were like mustaches, but they're not, it's like a little clip that goes on each side of their hijab, their head covering, 
and it kind of goes under their nose and covers their mouth. And so I was asking about all these different things because I had, I really had no clue what they all meant. And I knew that they probably meant something, but we got into these discussions and it, it was, it was awesome because we had so much in common. We both valued family. He had six kids. We had six kids. We both valued modesty. So when we were there, we made sure that our girls always wore jeans when they went out in public. I always wore long skirts. Very, very, very rarely. Only maybe a handful of times did I ever wear jeans out in public. I usually wore at least three-quarter length sleeves um, just out of respect for their culture. Um, he was very curious about us homeschooling because he didn't like the things that his daughter was being taught in the schools there. And so I think it was easy for us to talk because I had no agenda. Mm-hmm. I knew that if God opened the door, he would take, he would take over the conversation. I wasn't trying to convert him. Um, for one thing, it's illegal in that country to proselytize, but, but that didn't even cross my mind. I was just having a, a genuine conversation, just like, you know, our desire for our kids. We just want to teach them how to make real connections with other people. And then the interest in our, our faith, like what, what our core is will then follow. So actually, I mean, it was just so easy to talk to these people because it's obvious how, devout they are in their faith. And it was actually really convicting to be there and to see these people who, without fail, will go and pray five times a day and think, gosh, do I take my prayer life this seriously? I mean, granted, it's like, I, I, I don't know what their I don't rules are, you know, if you don't go five times a day or whatever, but um, it was really convicting to think, you know, here are these people who don't know Christ as their savior, and yet they will go and they will pray five times a day. It was, it was really humbling and, and like I said, and convicting. Hmm. So kind of along those lines, um, how did you see your travel affecting your family's relationship with God? I think it's really hard to travel as a family and not see God show up. We have had so, so, so many times when things were really dire, things were not falling into place like we had anticipated and God just showed up. So we can recount these stories now to our kids and we try to do it on a fairly regular basis, not like artificially, like, okay, today's Wednesday, the 13th, we're going to talk about, <laughs> you know, not like that, just um, like, so at Christmas time, or just like with little reminders. So at Christmas time, when we were living in Mexico, our finances were still tight. We were still, um, I mean, we were still paying bills. We were still eating. <laughs> Everything was fine. Um, but things were still financially tight. And that Christmas, our church was involved in a ministry kind of like uh, Samaritan's Purse, where they do the Operation Operation Christmas Child. They had a shoebox ministry. And we talked about it with the kids, and we said, okay, you know, they really wanted to do it. 
and we told them, okay, we can do this and that's awesome, but you need to know that the money that we would have spent on your Christmas gifts is kind of going into these boxes. You'll still get a little something, but it's not going to be the same as if we you know, don't do these boxes. And they were totally okay with that because they just have always loved the idea of going and shopping and buying stuff for the, the Operation Christmas Shop. So we did. And then it was the Christmas Eve service at our church. And we at that point we had gotten, I mean, just like little tiny things for the kids, maybe like, you know, chocolate candies or one dress for a Barbie doll or little, just really not a whole lot by American standards. So we go to this Christmas celebration. It was a Christmas Eve service. And I think the kids had a play, if I remember correctly. But afterwards, this lady that we had only met in passing, her name was Cheryl. I have no idea what her last name was. But she come, came up to us and she had all these Christmas gifts. And gosh, I'm getting chills just talking about it. But she came up and she gave us these Christmas gifts. And she said, I just got back from being in the States. And when I was there, God told me to buy Christmas presents for your family. And we were just thrown. We didn't know this lady. <laughs> like I said, we were at this church and we stood out. So everybody knew who we were, but we didn't necessarily know who everybody else was. But this lady, Cheryl, had been in the U.S. weeks before. And this is very important. Weeks before and bought Christmas presents for our family. So we got home. We saved them for Christmas because, I mean, this was going to be like the only thing the kids were going to open. Mm-hmm. So Sunday, uh, Christmas morning comes and we start opening the presents. My daughter who loves pink got a pink purse. My other daughter who loves Alice in Wonderland got a purse with the Alice in Wonderland. My other daughter who loves to draw and do art got an art set. My son got a little book with a DVD and a truck. I got a scarf. My husband's gift. And so all of these things were like spot on. Like Mm -hmm. only God could have done this because like I said, this lady did not know us. There's no way she could have known my daughter liked Alice in Wonderland at all. But a few days before my husband had been working on something and he had one of those little Leatherman tools. It's kind of like a Swiss army knife, but it has like pliers and scissors and knife and corkscrew or all, all kinds of little tools on it. And it broke. And we were so disappointed because there was no money in our budget to buy a new one. None. Because they were all imported in Mexico. So they were super expensive. I mean, like 30 bucks or so. And we, we just didn't have it. And so we were like, okay, well, we hope nothing breaks in the house that we need new tools because the Leatherman is broken. He got a Leatherman from this woman as his present. And there's, there's no way there's nobody knew that that Leatherman was broken except for us. And he opened it. I mean, we just, I just started crying (laughs) again Um, because it was, God knew that that Leatherman was going to break. He prompted this lady weeks before to buy this Leatherman to give to our family so that two or three days after it had broken, we would have a new one. That's how, that's how, these are the stories that we tell our kids to remind them, God cares about, about a Leatherman, (laughs) about this little tool that is insignificant to most people who own them, but to us, it was a big, big deal. And it was just, you know, even when we talk about, I think we, we talked about this story 
well, maybe within the last month or so with the kids. And they're still just in awe of how God used this woman to bring us these presents that were absolutely perfect. And it wasn't, it wasn't just God showing up, but also this lady obeying and doing what God was calling her to do. So anyway, so those are, those are the little things that we can point to, to our kids. And it's still, you know, even so many years later, it's still so real that it's, it's a boost. It's, it's a reminder. God, God cares about, about us in, in the, tiniest little details so much more so than than we we remember that is incredible and an awesome reminder for us too um what advice do you have for someone debating packing up their whole family and moving do it (laughs) (laughs) do it it's so hard it is so hard but it is so so worth it just do it I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, hopefully you will have more of a financial cushion than we did. That makes it a little more fun because then you can go out and do more fun things when you're there. Like when we were in Costa Rica, we didn't see much of the country at all because we didn't have the money to go explore. We didn't have the money to pay the bus fare and pay for a hotel at the beaches. The only real traveling we did in Costa Rica was to see my mom's hometown, hometown of um, Turialba. But then we had free lodging because her extended family was there. But do it. Find a way. There are so many ways that you can leverage what you have, leverage your house. You could um, do a house swap, find house sitting gigs. Do what you can. If it is a priority, if you feel like this is something that God wants for your family, you will find a way. You will find a way. Do it even if it's scary. It, it, it won't be easy, but do it anyway. It's it's so worth it. That is so true. And then the last question I have for you today, what is the biggest God moment that you've had while traveling? Obviously, the Christmas was a big one. But one that was even more miraculous, which it's kind of hard to, kind of <laughs> hard to, um, you know, compare miracles. Um, we were sitting at the border of Costa Rica and Panama, Changuinola and Sixayola, which if anybody recognizes these um, towns, you know, it ain't a fun place to be. <laughs> So we went, and actually when we entered Costa Rica, you usually get a 90-day visa. And for some reason, we did not. We got a 60-day visa. But we went to renew our visas at the 90 days. We had talked with family members. We had talked with a couple other people. And they're like, oh, no, no, just go. It'll be all right. You're supposed to get, just explain it to them when you get there. You know, you're half- Costa Rican, everything will be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> the guy at the um, office, so we had to get a stamp to leave Costa Rica on the Costa Rican side, and then you would get another stamp to enter into Panama on the other side. So on the Costa Rican side, the guy in the little booth there was not amused. He wanted to 
um, give us a fine of about $100 per passport, which would have been $700 that we absolutely did not have to pay because we had overstayed our visas. And I was trying to explain to him everything. He did not want to hear any of it. And I know some of your listeners have had horrible border crossing experiences. And this one was so bad that my children never, ever want to go back to Panama. (laughs) But so, and I think part of the issue with our family being so large, number one, when we're traveling abroad, when foreigners uh, in many countries see Americans, number one, they think money. These people Mm -hmm. are well off. They have the money to come and travel in our country. They are super wealthy, which for us was totally not true. Then they see this giant stack of passports and they know passports cost money again. So these people, not only are they rich Americans, but they're super rich because they can afford to have all these kids, which again, was totally, (laughs) totally not the case for us. So he gave us the paperwork to fill out and we were sitting down on the like little concrete pad that they had out outside their office filling out these exit forms and he was saying okay you have to he I think at that point he had kind of agreed that maybe he would just let us go through because I was you know trying to tell him we we don't have this money like you can try to get it from us but we don't have this money and so I think he at that point just said okay just fill out these papers and then we'll deal with it but you have to spend three days out of the country and it was like we didn't have suitcases We didn't bring anything because we had been told, oh, no, you can just go across the border and come back in. Everything will be fine. Mm. So we're sitting down and just kind of panicking and trembling as we write, fill in these forms because we don't know what we're going to do. I mean, we have a taxi waiting for us back. It was quite a ways back. Um, It was so hot. It was so hot. The kids are like melting. Um, And we're filling out these papers. And I hear this woman's voice, and she says, Susan? Now, I go by the name Susan, but my legal first name is Miriam. And so in those, like, milliseconds that I hear her call my name, I'm like, who is calling my name? This doesn't make sense, because the guy in the booth, he only saw my name as Miriam. He wouldn't have called me Susan. Mm -hmm. And so I looked up, and there's this woman there. And she asked me again, Susan? And I said, yeah, (laughs) never seen you before in my life. How do you know my name? This woman, again, I'm getting chills. This woman is the best friend of my mom's cousin. And she had seen our photos and recognized us from the pictures. She had no idea that we were crossing the border that day. I Like I said, I had never, ever met her before in my entire life. And she recognized us from photos, sitting there at that stinking border, <laughs> filling out the papers. And, it, like, it was just kind of a blur. Because I was like, I don't know. She's like, oh, you know, I'm friends with Lola. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she spoke to the guy on our behalf, really argued with him. He let us cross through without any incident, without having to pay anything. She and her travel companion helped us cross the border into Panama, which was the scariest border crossing we've ever had because it was a 
bridge, that, a wooden bridge that was falling apart. People were actually repairing it while we were going across that um, <laughs> covered this dry river, like ravine, not super deep, but I mean, you wouldn't want to fall into it because it was pretty high. We cross into Panama. Unbeknownst to us, they pay a 40 US dollar bribe to the Panamanian guards so we could go inside in the air conditioning out of the heat. They talk with the Panamanian guys, get it all taken care of. I mean, like I said, we were clueless. I didn't find out that she had paid a bribe till like months later. Oh my goodness. They cross us back. They come back with us to, um, to Costa Rica, crossing that horrible bridge again, talk with the guys again in the office, um, and get us a 30 day visa. So again, we were supposed to get 90 days when we arrived, got 60. Supposed to get 90 days on the way back and got 30. So, but they, they handled the whole thing and it was like, what just happened? (laughs) This, this, this angel, Anya appeared and like totally saved the day. I mean, totally, totally saved the day. So that was, that is, that is a glaring God moment for, for us when we were traveling. And then with that, like when the 30 day visas were up, we went to Nicaragua. We didn't go to Panama again. <laughs> we're like, we are not going to see that guy again. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And completely out of nowhere. That's yep. such, yeah. God shows up. Okay, Susan. Well, uh, how can people find you on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, my, like, it's facebook.com slash slash susan t whitehead um and i don't hang out on social media all that much i tend to focus more on my website and my new podcast that i launched so some of my two main sites are susanwhitehead.com and wanderlustfamilies.com and i have a podcast you can actually find the podcast in itunes just search uh, wanderlust families Awesome. And what are some of the resources that you have on your websites? So on Wanderlust Families, I have a resource that is five lesser known ways to save money when spending your summer months abroad or really any other time of year. And I wrote this because I know that not everyone is going to be willing or able to shake things up like our family did and ditch their current life and move abroad. But I know a lot of us do have the opportunity to take a month off, maybe during the summers when kids are out of school, or if you just save up all your vacation days, and you can do that. So I came up with this resource for families if they just want to kind of take, I, it's, I call it a toe dip, because it is compared to, <laughs> to what we've done. But but it is a big step. So I think these are easy ways, maybe not easy, but simple ways that people can get this experience of living deeply abroad, um, even in a shorter amount of time. Well, thank you, Susan, so much for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Obviously, I I love to talk about travel, and I'm so excited for your podcast to encourage other believers to, to get out there and to connect and not only to see all of God's creation, because it is so, so varied and so beautiful in so many different ways, but to also connect with other people as you travel, because those, those are really the memories 
that mean the most to us. I mean, yeah, we've seen the Eiffel Tower, we've seen Big Ben, you know, we've seen, you know, the Mayan pyramids, but it's the connections with the people that we've met along the way, like uh, Margarita, our maid in Mexico, those, those are the connections that, that we really treasure. And those, that's what has made our travels um, very rich, very rich. That's wonderful. Well, thanks for being on our podcast. And Christian Travelers, I encourage you to go check out her amazing resources. Um, but until next time, safe travels and God bless.